0: Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. That's
1: yes, this morning before uh, service. It is a blessing to be here at Wellspring Church. and We have a wonderful pastor and Pastor Sam and Pastor Fuji and they, they do a really good job at bringing us God's word so faithfully every Sunday, but here at Wellspring, it's also a blessing that the Lord has given us faithful men who can also proclaim God's Word and teach it to us and bring it to us occasionally. And so we happen to be blessed this morning to have Eddie Pack, one of our very own, a very skilled and gifted uh, preacher of God's Word um, with us this morning. And so he is going to bring uh, a message uh, from the Gospel of John for us, and so will you Please warmly welcome him to the program. Thank you. Good morning, Wellspring. Could you please pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you have gathered your people together and you have proclaimed Christ in this place through your church. And we ask that. In these short moments where we open up your word, that you would show us great and wonderful things. May Christ be magnified, may your word go forth, and do its work, be planted in the hearts of your people, in Jesus' name, amen. Come one, come all to Ringling Brothers, Barnum & Bailey Circus, to the greatest show on earth. That was the slogan that I heard in the fourth grade. The circus was coming to town, and with a claim like, the greatest show on earth, how could anyone not want to check it out? And so my dad got some tickets And as we pulled up to the fairgrounds arena in Oklahoma City, it did not disappoint. The first thing you see are these enormous colored tents. And as you weave your way around the grounds through 15-foot walking clowns, little sideshows of jugglers and magic tricks, fire-breathing people, You're sucked in to elaborate costumes and live, dressed-up animals. It was like electricity was in the air. When I went into the tent and took our seats, I saw a guy get shot out of a cannon. I saw a lady with a full beard and mustache I saw motorcycle daredevils cheat death and then the menagerie of wild animals lions tigers bears oh my they were dancing and they were jumping through fire they were riding bikes all under the full control of gunter gable williams It was amazing, and I can't imagine seeing anything more wildly spectacular as a nine-year-old. It made such an impression on me, so much so that 20 years later, when the Ringling Brothers Circus was back in town, I asked my own kids, do you want to go see the greatest show on earth? And they're like, oh, what's that? And with a twinkle in my eye, I said, come on, let's go see. You know, the, the greatest shows are always the ones that connect with your deepest longings in your heart. They have the power to transform your life. In today's text, we're brought into an interaction between Jesus and a couple of disciples, in particular, Nathaniel. And we follow his journey to a great show, the greatest show. In fact, it's the greatest show on earth and heaven. Come and see. Our text, as we read, John 1, verses 43 through 51, piggybacks on last week's passage, which started with the question, what are you seeking? What are the deepest uh, longings of your heart? And if you recall, there were two disciples of John the Baptist who were sort of stalking Jesus from from afar because they were told by John the Baptist that this Jesus as the son of God, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And that to them meant that he was the promised Messiah from the Hebrew scriptures. And so they wanted to see if that was true. Well, Jesus sees them following him around, and he asks them, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? At the same time, it was kind of, uh, what are you doing? And it was also, what is the deepest longing of your heart? Well, they get a bit flustered by the question, and, and they ask him, Jesus, uh, where are you staying? And Jesus responds with an invitation to come and see. And whatever, it, whatever it was that they saw, at least for one of them, Andrew, and that was enough for him to confirm that, yes, this is a Messiah. And so Andrew immediately goes and introduces his brother Peter to Jesus as well. And then the brothers, they go to their fishing buddy, Philip, from the same town, and they connect him to Jesus. And then Philip, also convinced that he's found the Messiah, goes to Nathaniel. The grapevine has been activated now amongst this Galilean fisherman cohort, which puts us at our text for today. Now, before we dive into this text, there's, there's something I'd like to explore a little bit, and it's the weightiness and the excitement of these fishermen who are longing in the depths of their heart Messiah. And that understanding could use a little context, so I like to do that here. The word Messiah is actually a transliteration of a Hebrew word that means anointed one. Uh, Christ, or Christos in the Greek, is simply the Greek for anointed one. It's not Jesus' last name, it's a title. And the anointed one is used in a few different ways in the Old Testament. It's used uh, to reference the king of Israel. It's used to represent a high priest. And it's also used to represent prophets. The verb anointing was an act of consecrating for or setting apart something or someone that was unique or special. Uh, References to a future Messiah abounded in the Old Testament, which for a people whose entire culture and community are centered on these writings, this would carry a lot of real-life expectation uh, because it's God's word. There's three primary passages that, that could point to this anointed one in the Old Testament. Um, and just I don't think we're posting, but real brief, two of them are from the Torah. It's Genesis 49, talks about a scepter that will not depart from Judah. It's Numbers 24, a star shall come forth from Jacob and a scepter shall rise from Israel. And then the third passage is found in prophet, in, in the prophets, 2 Samuel 7, I will raise up your descendant after you, referring to David, who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Very similar words derive from these, these three passages, and they're found all over the Old Testament in the Prophets in the Psalms. And they represent a core belief and hope of the Jewish people for a Messiah King from the line of David. Which, at the time of Jesus that we're reading about, would be very much alive and very much anticipated. Now, this would be super relevant to Israel, given their history of sort of being under the thumb of the Persians and the Greeks and now the Romans. It was a climate of anxiety, reaching back for generations in the hearts of the Jewish people. People like Andrew, people like Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel, who, in the longing of their hearts, were waiting for this deliverer, this kingly descendant of David, the anointed one, the Messiah, who was going to radically change their lives for the better. So, having this background, I think will help. It helps. When you read through the Gospels, especially in John, who's writing to both Gentiles and Jews, where you get this sense that Jesus isn't really understood by everyone around him, including His disciples. Jesus knows He's the Messiah, He knows that He's the anointed one, but there's a fuller scope and reach of that title beyond Israel. And it's still being worked out among, amongst his followers. And So we get back to our text where we ended with Philip holding the ball. Now, if you'll allow me a little narrative license uh, in the interactions from the text, and I, I'm hoping it helps because it helps us follow Nathaniel and his arrival at at the show. Philip, unable to contain the news, goes looking for his friend Nathaniel. He knew times were tough, what with recent layoffs, so he didn't even bother checking at the fishing docks. But where could he be? Nathaniel approached his usual secluded spot beneath the shade of the large fig tree where he went to collect himself when times got tough and he sat down and shook his head and it had become apparent since none of the boats were hiring that these taxes levied by the Romans against the region of Galilee was now affecting everyone. Well, everyone except Herod and all his privileged officials who are lining their pockets with the sweat and tears of their own people? He'd probably have to sell his nets. He could pay off the officials. But that wasn't going to be a consideration for Nathaniel. The Lord would provide. But how long, Yahweh, Will you allow us to be a mockery amongst the nations? Please do something. Now Philip, realizing that he forgot about the fig tree, where he and his friend had spent many hours together searching the scriptures, and he sees him. Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we found him. We have found him in whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathaniel, unable to notice the look of excitement and hope on his friend's face, with an unmoved countenance and an empty glare, simply utters, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That would be like me saying, why would anyone want to live in Concord? And if you're from Concord, you're ready to throw stones at me. And even if you're not from Concord, you're wondering what kind of jerk says something like that. I think that's kind of where Nathaniel's at. We can all be like that. I mean, Nathaniel lives eight miles from Nazareth. What does he know? Cana? Is it any better? I think there's deep longings in Nathaniel's heart that are being met with silence, maybe hardship. And how easy it is, isn't it, to lose hope and resort to letting your flesh speak and act when you're not getting the desires of your heart. But thank goodness for Philip. How beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. It's grace upon grace because Philip had the perfect response. It wasn't Bible verses. It wasn't some five point apologetic strategy. He simply tells his friend, Come and see. Some of you are in a place where the deep longings of your heart have not been met. And like Nathaniel, you're skeptical about whether they can even be realized let alone in the person of Jesus. Philip's words are also for you. Come and see. Philip, still sensitive to his friend's spirit, quietly but deliberately leads Nathanael to where Jesus is staying. And before he can clearly make out his face, Nathanael hears this figure say, Behold, An Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Had Philip said something before this meeting? Taken aback by the accuracy of this man's statement of him, Nathaniel cautiously responds, How do you know me? Well, Jesus knowing all people and what's in a man from the beginning, with an understanding and a tenderness towards the longing of Nathaniel's heart, says to him, before Philip called you, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you and I heard you. and with a look that betrayed his previous unbelief those words the words of the psalmist in psalm 139 somehow laid clear right before nathaniel's eyes o oh lord you have searched me and known me you know when i sit down and when i rise up you discern my thoughts from afar you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? And with a wave of excitement, he proclaims, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And with an apologetic look filled with gratitude at the same time, he looks over at Philip, his friend. We have found the Messiah. And yet, as if to hint maybe that his belief, this new belief, this growing belief in Messiah was on an Incomplete foundation or understanding, Jesus asks Nathaniel. because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? It's both a special comfort and a humbling reality, isn't it, that Jesus knows us fully. Before him alone, there are no secrets in life because he knows everything. It's that that forms a basis for relating to each other that nobody else in your life can claim but Jesus. There is a deep longing in the heart of Nathaniel that has been met in the person of Jesus. It's not clear how fully aware of it that he is, I think, but it has led him to proclaim that Jesus is the son of God and his king. Do you have a deep longing to know completely with no secrets of any kind ever as the basis of a relationship? I do. And if you do, Come and see, because you will find it with Jesus. Nathaniel now, who's pondering the nature of belief, because Jesus had just asked him, because I said, I saw you under the tree, do you believe? And then Jesus says to him again, you will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There are two Old Testament passages that help us understand what Jesus has in mind. The first is Genesis 28. It's a description of a dream that Jacob had when he came to belief in the Lord. He said, it says, behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth and the top reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac. The second passage is from Daniel 7. It's from where Jesus gets his favorite title for himself. It's son of man. It's used over 80 times in the gospel. 13 of them in John. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and it will never pass away, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. This image, this imagery is meant to point Nathaniel and others to an expanded, greater understanding of who Jesus is, and it points to a future, one that moves beyond an earthly Messiah king of Israel to also include a heavenly Messiah king of all people. And it links heaven to earth. It links God to man. When you read this, heaven opened up and angels ascending and descending on the son of man, I cannot help. And it's not, but it's I cannot help but think about the circus. It's a show. And as I think about that show and what it might look like, this show that Nathaniel gets to witness and watch, I imagine a show that's so spectacular, so spectacular, so great, it's billed as truly the greatest show on earth. And because it is so great, only those who truly are great to the level defined by a pure, undefiled heart may attend. After a difficult but honest examination that takes place, in the privacy under the fig tree, you and I will realize that we do not have a pure and undefiled heart, one that would be required for a mission into this show. And as we look into the entrance of the tent, we see things are underway. And it's a show. And there is one inside the anointed star of the show upon whom the angels of God are ascending and descending and he is performing and we cannot take our eyes off of him because he is exuding a light that to look upon is life-giving. How we long to be inside. This anointed one looks outside the tent and he sees you and me stuck outside the closed gate. He knows the longing of our hearts to get into the show, and out of pity does something that the show has never done before, and that's stop. The anointed star walks out of the tent to the gate where we stand, and he gives up his place in the show so that we can enter as special guests. And as we are escorted into the tent, we look back and we see the anointed star being carried away to a dark place where his light is removed and stamped out. And as it's removed, we see a light starting to exude from our bodies. And as we shine ever brighter, We then are allowed to enter a new performance stage in the tent, a new tent where an even greater production, a greater show is taking place. And with great joy, we happen to again see the anointed star who has returned. and This time he's directing and he's leading us in what is now being called the greatest show on earth and heaven. If we fast forward to chapter 21 in John in the Gospels, there is one last glimpse of Nathaniel, the only other place he shows up. He, along with six other disciples, after coming in from fishing or having breakfast with the now-resurrected Lord Jesus, On the beach. And John writes in verse 12, he says, now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. John says that he has written this book so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we may have life in his name. So come and see, come one, come all to the greatest show on earth and heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we get to be not just witnesses, The greatest show on earth and heaven. But you allow us to be active participants in that show. And that is a privilege. It is a responsibility. It is the deepest longing of our heart. May we find Christ Jesus. the anointed star of the show. May our love for him and affection grow more and more as he's magnified in our life and in the life of this church. In Jesus' name.